Hi, this is Jimmy Bratcher. You're listening to Steve Webb and the Life Spring Podcast. Number 110. Well, we've got a full show today, so we're going to get right into it. Hitting you right between the ears with a message of hope, love, and good news, we're going to start the show off with a very, very old song by one of the founders of contemporary Christian music. The man's name is Chuck Gerard, and he really is one of the very first. The music is dated, but the message of this song really goes along with my theme. So here we go. Don't shoot the wounded. They need us more than ever. They need our love, no matter what it is they've done. Sometimes we just condemn them and don't take time to hear their story. Don't shoot the wounded. Someday you might be one. It's easy to love the people who are standing hard and fast, pressing on to meet that higher calling. But the ones who might be struggling, we tend to judge too harshly and refuse to try and catch them when they're falling. We put people into boxes And we draw our hard conclusions And when they do the things we know they should not do We sometimes write them off as hopeless And we throw them to the dogs Our compassion and forgiveness sometimes seem in short supply So I say, don't shoot the wounded They need us more than ever They need our love no matter what it is they've done Sometimes we just condemn them And don't take time to hear their story Don't shoot the wounded Someday you might be one We can love them and forgive them When their sin does not exceed our own For we too have been down bumpy roads before But when they commit offenses Outside the boundaries we have set We judge them in a word And we turn them out And we close the door Myself, I've been forgiven For so many awful things I've been cleansed and washed and bathed so many times That when I see a brother who has fallen from the way I just can't find the license to convict him of his crime So I say, don't shoot the wound They need us more than ever They need our love no matter what it is they've done Sometimes we just condemn them and don't take time to hear their story Don't shoot the wounded Someday you might be one That doesn't mean we turn our heads when we see a brother sin And pretend that what he's doing is alright But we must help him see his error and we must lead him to repent Cry with those who cry to bring their deeds into the light For it's the sick that need the doctor and it's the lame that need the crutch It's the prodigal who needs the loving hand For a man who's in despair There should be kindness from his friends Lest he should forsake the fear of Almighty God And turn away from God and man So I say, don't shoot the wounded They need us more than ever They need our love no matter what it is they've done Sometimes we just condemn them And don't take time to hear their story Don't shoot the wounded Someday you might be one
The message of hope, love, and good news. This is Lifespring, and that was Chuck Gerard, one of the founders of contemporary Christian music, and I'm so pleased that they've got his music over at iotaalliance.com. Okay, we've got a full show today, so just like last week, we're going to get right into the content. All the chat and housekeeping will be at the end of the show. Only three things I have to tell you right here at the top of the show. My email is steve.lifespring at gmail.com. The listener comment line is 206-350-CALL. And the show notes page is at lifespringpodcast.com where you'll find links to the music I'll be playing today and also links to the scriptures I'll be using. Now, as a reminder about why I'm doing this mini-series on cults and non-Christian religions, it's because some of you have been emailing me asking me about these groups. Now, In answering the questions and pointing out the differences, my attitude toward people involved with these various groups is no different than the attitude I have to anybody involved in activities that I believe are contrary to the clear teaching of the Bible. Above all, I know that God loves them. I know that Jesus died for them, and I love them as the Holy Spirit works through me. Okay, let's go. Today we're going to take a really fast look at two of the most familiar cults to most of us, at least here in the United States. Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. These are the groups who bicycle around in pairs, as in the Mormons, or they knock on your door and try to engage you in religious talk. And of course, that's both of these groups. You need to be aware that the people who knock on your door are very well trained. They know exactly what they want to say to you, and they have quick answers for the most commonly asked questions and objections. But remember, having an answer doesn't mean that they have the answer that is biblically correct. And isn't that what you want? You want to know that what they're speaking is true or not, right? Well, remember, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And God said, I never change. Therefore, if you're looking for religious truth, you're going to find it in the Bible. You don't need another book or another revelation to supplement what the Bible says. This brings me to another commonality of the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. First, I said they're really well prepared. And this is another commonality right here. The use of and reliance upon additional scriptures or books. They both say that the Bible is true, but that it isn't complete. And this, by the way, is one of the marks of a cult. The use of extra biblical texts. If you insist on using your own Bible... They'll say that only their interpretation is correct, that it can only be understood by their scholars. And that's another red flag for you, another mark of a cult, that only their interpretation is the right one. And here's another tactic they'll use on you. If you let them bring you into a discussion, it might sound as if you're agreeing with what they're saying or that they're agreeing with what you're saying. They seem to be saying all the right things. Here's the thing. When you nail them down to defining their terms, you'll find that what they mean when they say, for example, we believe in Jesus, well, that's nothing like what the Bible means when it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
When they say we believe in Jesus, it's not in the same meaning as that scripture there. Now, the list of changed definitions would take longer to go over than I want to take on this show. Concepts such as salvation, heaven, grace, the resurrection, and on and on. These groups have their own very different meanings than what you and I think of if if we've studied the Bible at all. You say, well, Steve, how do you know that their definitions are wrong? Well, first, we've got 2,000 years of church history. Much of that history came to us from the apostles, the men who saw and heard and in most cases lived with Jesus while he was here. Their interpretation on some of the concepts discussed in Scripture is derived from direct contact with Jesus himself. Next, on the essentials of the Christian faith, there is nearly universal agreement as far as um, the historical Christianity. Listen, we all agree on, on, on these basic concepts, that there is one God, that God is a triune being made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was born to a virgin, and that he lived a sinless life, that he died a cruel death on the cross for our sins, that he was raised on the third day, and that he is with the Father now, and that he will return bodily to earth. Now, there may be a point or two that I missed in that quick list, but 2,000 years of church interpretation and history are behind that. So what logical person would say that all of a sudden, for 2,000 years, our interpretation was wrong? Something else to consider on the question of why their definitions are, are wrong is basic logic. Words mean things. Now, picture this. If I hold up a spherical object about three inches in diameter, which is covered with two strips of white leather, tightly stitched with red heavy thread, weighing about five ounces. The sphere weighs about five ounces. Chances are really good that you and I will both call that object a baseball (laughs) and not a duck-billed platypus. Some of the new definitions these groups have come up with are nearly as far removed from the real meaning of the word as this example that I've just given between a baseball and a duck-billed platypus. Okay, so let me just very quickly hit some high points about what each of these two groups believe. On the subject of God, Mormons believe that there are many gods, each the god of over his own planet. The god of this planet was once a man, as all gods were. Mormons believe that all men may become gods. The Mormons believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three distinct and separate beings and do not make up a triune person. They are three separate gods. One of the things you'll hear Mormons say is, as God once was, man is. As God is, man may become. Now, the first time I heard that, I'm going, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. But then when you think about it, it makes no sense at all. It's saying that I can become a god. Sorry, it ain't happening. Here's another belief about God. The birth of Jesus resulted from God, who they call Elohim. Now, if you are a student of languages, this makes no sense. Calling God the Father, who they say is one person, Elohim. Do a study on that word all by itself, and that'll surprise you. Elohim. 
Anyway, they believe that the birth of Jesus resulted from Elohim having sexual relations with Mary, who was his spirit daughter. Uh huh. They also believe that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. Yeah, the devil, Satan. They believe that the Holy Spirit can only be in one place at one time and is the influence of deity, the light of Christ or of truth. He emanates from deity like electricity or the universal ether, which fills the earth and the air and is everywhere present. Now, I know that last statement contradicts the first statement that says that the Holy Spirit can only be in one place at one time. But see, that's another mark of a cult is if you once you really get in and begin to dig deep and study, there are many contradictions in what they teach. Let's talk about Jehovah's Witnesses. All right, in terms of God, God's name, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, is Jehovah. Well, that makes sense, right? And only Jehovah is eternal. Jesus is not God, and he's not one with the Father, but he is the first creation of God. So to them, Jesus was created. They say the Holy Spirit is the invisible active force of God, but is not God and is not a person. All right, now let's look at historical Christianity. We believe that God is one. He is eternal, meaning that he had no beginning and will have no end. God is a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You say, well, Steve, where does that come from, that, that Trinity thing? There's no such thing as Trinity in the Bible. And they'll say that to you. These cults will all, almost all say that. So let's look at several verses. Matthew 28, 19 says, this is, this is just before Jesus was to ascend into heaven after he was resurrected. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity there. Let's continue. In Matthew chapter 3, this is the picture, this is the story of when Jesus himself was baptized. And it says in Matthew chapter 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So you had the Trinity there. You had Jesus who was baptized. You had the the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and lighting on him. And then God the Father said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. In Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible, the 26th verse says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish, etc., etc. Let us make man in our image. And then in Genesis chapter 11, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. This is the story about um, the Tower of Babel. The Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Another case where God is speaking of himself in the plural form. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a clue. Back on that Elohim thing, Elohim is plural. 
That would not be that would that that would be like naming me Steves. Well, I'm not Steves. I'm only one. Elohim is plural. So there's uh, there's a, a hint to get you going on your word study there. Each part of God is a distinct person or aspect, but the three make up one God, and each is God. Now, I know that this is a difficult concept to wrap your head around, but to completely understand the nature of God really should be beyond our human ability, don't you think? All right, let's talk about salvation, what that means to Mormons and to Jehovah's Witnesses and then to biblical Christianity. Salvation. There are basically four different definitions that the Mormons have for salvation. One is resurrection, and that comes to everybody. One is the gaining of any of the levels of glory, and there are several levels of glory in the world of the the Mormons. Another meaning of salvation is the gaining of celestial glory, or the highest heaven, and that is actually becoming a god. Listen, you won't become a god if you don't become a Mormon and do everything taught by the church. It's completely based on works, salvation is. It's completely based on works, doing the right things and refraining from doing the wrong things. To, ho- to, to, ho- <laughs> to Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they have a, a, a two-class system in salvation. There are the anointed Christians who are said to be born again and are hoping for a home in heaven. This, however, represents a very small minority. According to the theory, only 144,000 are in this class, of which less than 9,000 are still alive today. The second tier of people in this level or in this plan of salvation is called the other sheep or the great crowd. Jehovah's Witnesses have to earn a spot in that number. And part of that is through distributing their literature as well as doing other things that are prescribed by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. That's why they always want to give you some of those books when they come to your front step. All right. Salvation in biblical Christianity or historical Christianity. You'll notice, let let me step back. You'll notice that in both Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnessism, (laughs) Jehovah's Witnesses, um, things are based on what you can do, based on your works. Biblical Christianity is, is put like this. In Acts chapter 16, it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's all it takes. Belief. John chapter 1. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's all it takes. Belief. Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I could obviously go on and on, but for further study, I've put some links on the show notes page at lifespringpodcast.com. You can use Google to do research. I recommend the book Kingdom of the Cults by Dr. Walter Martin to go really deep with these and many more cults and non-Christian religions. I'm going to have a link on the show notes page for the book, too. Of course, if you choose to buy it there, you'll be helping me out just a little bit. It's going to be an Amazon link. And being an Amazon link, of course, you're going to get a great price. Now, if you would like to like to have a pamphlet 
which compares and contrasts these two groups along with several others, including Christian Science and the Unification Church, and comparing those with Christianity, email me at steve.lifespring at gmail.com. Give me your name and address, and I will send it to you at my expense. Now, actually, there are two different pamphlets that are available. The one I just told you about is number one. Number two includes Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and Judaism. When you write, just say that you want number one or number two. Now, there's no strings here. Excuse me. I'm not collecting your name and address for anything. I'm not putting you on a mailing list and I'm not selling your name. I just want you to have one of these if you're interested. I'm paying for these out of my own pocket. I've got a few in my library that would be better in your hands than on my shelf. And if more requests come in that I have in my possession right now, then I'll go out and I'll buy some more. I'm not going to ask you for any money or anything like that. I just want you to have the material. So, steve.lifespring at gmail.com. And I've got lots of good links on the show notes page. A cold March wind danced around the dead of night in Dallas as the doctor walked into the small hospital room of Diana Blessing. She was still groggy from surgery. Her husband David held her hand as they braced themselves for the latest news. That afternoon of March 10, 1991, complications had forced Diana, who was only 24 weeks pregnant, to undergo an emergency cesarean to deliver the couple's new daughter, Dana Lou Blessing. At 12 inches long and weighing only 1 pound 9 ounces, they already knew that she was perilously premature. Still, the doctor's soft words dropped like bombs. He said, I don't think she's going to make it. There's only a 10% chance she will live through the night. And even then, if by some slim chance she does make it, her future could be a very cruel one. Numb with disbelief, David and Diana listened as the doctor described the devastating problems Dana would likely face if she survived. She would never walk. She would never talk. She would probably be blind, and she would certainly be prone to other catastrophic conditions from cerebral palsy to complete mental retardation, and on and on. No, was all Diana could say. She and David, with their five-year-old son Dustin, had long dreamed of the day they would have a daughter to become a family of four. Now, within a matter of hours, that dream was slipping away. But as those first days passed, a new agony set in for David and Diana. Because Dana's underdeveloped nervous system was essentially raw, the lightest kiss or caress only intensified her discomfort, so they couldn't even cradle their tiny baby girl against their chests to offer the strength of their love. All they could do, as Dana struggled alone beneath the ultraviolet light in the tangle of tubes and wires, was to pray that God would stay close to their precious little girl. There was never a moment when Dana suddenly grew stronger. But as the weeks went by, she did slowly gain an ounce of weight here and an ounce of strength there. At last, when Dana turned two months old, her parents were able to hold her in their arms for the very first time. And two months later, though doctors continued to gently but grimly warn that her chances of surviving, much less living any kind of normal life, were next to zero, Dana went home from the hospital 
just as her mother had predicted. Five years later, when Dana was a petite but feisty young girl with glittering gray eyes and an unquenchable zest for life, she showed no signs whatsoever of any mental or physical impairment. Simply, she was everything a little girl can be and more. But that happy ending is far from the end of her story. One blistering afternoon in the summer of 1996, near her home in Irving, Texas, Dana was sitting in her mother's lap in the bleachers of the local ballpark where her brother Dustin's baseball team was practicing. As always, Dana was chattering non-stop with her mother and several other adults sitting nearby when she suddenly fell silent. Hugging her arms across her chest, little Dana asked, Do you smell that? Smelling the air and detecting the approach of a thunderstorm, Diana replied, Well, yes, it smells like rain. Dana closed her eyes and again asked, Do you smell that? Once again, her mother replied, Yes, I think we're about to get wet. It smells like rain. Still caught in the moment, Dana shook her head, patted her thin shoulders with her small hands and loudly announced, No, it smells like him. It smells like God when you lay your head on his chest. Tears blurred Diana's eyes as Dana happily hopped down to play with the other children. Before the rains came, her daughter's words confirmed what Diana and all the members of the extended blessing family had known, at least in their hearts, all along. During those long days and nights of her first two months of her life, when her nerves were too sensitive for them to touch her, God was holding Dana on his chest, and it is his loving scent that she remembers so well. song that I wrote about my granddaughter, it had rained early that morning. There's a little area where water just kind of stands on the patio, so she found that, of course, and, and uh, then she wanted me to come and dance with her. And then I got up and went over and, and you know, danced with her in this puddle. I have forgotten what it means I've been too caught up in the game Chasing cobwebs from my mind And things better left unsaid But the day I have awakened Like a dreamer from the night Eyes wide open now I realize Just what it means to be alive I see you dancing in the puddles That the showers left behind And you bid me to come join you I feel the life that's in your eyes
computer a hacker magnet? It won't be anymore because Earthlink is here to save the day. With downloads faster than a speeding bullet and firewall that is more powerful than a locomotive. It has an antivirus system that cleanses your PC with the click of a mouse. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Earthlink! Perfect internet from outer space that linked to Earth with powers and abilities far greater than those of normal high speed and prices so low that it will blow you out of this world. So make the right decision and turn to Earthlink as your internet provider. GoDaddy is the source for domain names, you know, web hosting, and some fantastic tools for maximizing your internet presence, me bucko. Steve Webb has been a customer of GoDaddy for years, he has, and he's not made them walk the plank yet. And here be some good advice to ye. Use one of the Lifespring discount codes when you buy from GoDaddy. For instance, when you buy more than 30 doubloons, uh, dollars, for GoDaddy services, enter code LS2 and save five dollars. For all the codes, sail on by their show notes website at lifespringpodcast.com. Steve will be thanking you for the support. And yes, I will. Get on by the Lifespring show notes page for all the details on the codes. Well, we are getting pretty close to the two-year anniversary of the debut of the original Lifespring. Yep, November 13, 2004. I'm not sure what we're going to do, but I'm looking for ideas. Okay, all the iTunes feeds are back to normal. I was getting so bummed last week, and the lovely Lady Leanne came in with me last Friday, I think it was, and she said a prayer that I think really moved God because right after that, the iTunes problem just vanished. So, I want to thank God, and I want to thank Leanne. So this has been Lifespring number 110. As they say, it's in the can. Thank you for being with me. If you have any questions... Send them to me at steve.lifespring at gmail.com or better yet, call in a voicemail at 206-350-CALL. So until next week and another Lifespring number 111, I'm Steve Webb. I'm your host. God bless you. Thanks for being here. This has been an In Touch Productions podcast. The best and the brightest served up daily by the sharpest minds in content delivery, Podshow, and Limelight. <laughs>